Welcome to Season 6 of American Political History, The Institution of Slavery. What is slavery? Slavery is much harder to define than you might think at first blush. And today we conflate it with any form of exploitation, or just simple social responsibilities or roles which society has defined for us. The simple answer for slavery would be, it is when a person is owned or whose labor is owned. That might seem to work in our minds that have developed in a time where we all own our own free labor, but this breaks down quickly. Is an indentured servant a slave? No. Why? Is it because it has an end date to the service? Not exactly. Many people in history were temporarily slaves. The difference is, because an indentured servant has social rights of their own, they can take their master to court if their masters fail to live up to their end of the contract. A slave has no social standing against their master or anyone else. Their only rights are derived from their master's rights. The first aspect of slavery is that a slave has no social standing apart from their masters. If slavery is just no social standing, then why is being a wife not a form of slavery? A wife in many cultures was bound to their husband, a husband that was assigned by the father. With little rights outside of their husbands and many social expectations which she was obligated to do, one might describe this hierarchy as slavery, but it's only exploitative. These social roles and obligations were defined by an overarching culture. A husband had the power to exploit their wife to an extent, but only within the confines of cultural acceptability. For instance, it is true that a husband could not be charged with rape of his wife until the 20th century, but he would be subject to the law for beating his wife. A slave is not exploited in some way that a non-slave could not be exploited. But the level at which a slave could be exploited is always solely at the whim of their master. A slave's master could say one day <clears throat> that my slaves could not and would not be raped and change his mind the next minute and rape his slaves. Sadly, I use rape as an example because as we will see, it is commonplace for slaves to be raped for much of history. A slave is also the master's property, and all their production and works rightfully that of the master's. If a slave produces a great work of art, they sign that work with their master's signature. If a slave produced a child in pregnancy, that child produced was owned by the master. He might keep it or sell it. His power was absolute. Slaves were often branded with identifying marks of their master's house. Aspect 2. A slave's exploitation is only limited by the whims of the master. Every slave's owner wants to exploit them to the maximum degree. No slave owner can give their slave social standing without risking breaking the mental shackles of slavery. But, all of the different masters over history have some claim about how they gave their slaves some special kind of privileges which made them, as the master, more enlightened over their rival's form of slavery. 
We have to remember that fundamentally, when you are denying a human any social standing, you legally treat them as your property, exploit them to the maximum possible extent, then there is no real difference if as a master you throw a carrot or you chain them to the galley of your boats. A slave is always and still receives these privileges at the whim of their master. A slave has no rights as we think of them. And as we shall see, most of these carrots were self-interested, such as releasing slaves as they got older, praised out the door by their masters, that such a good slave might earn their freedom. But it was mostly done by the masters that didn't have to support their slave, who became too infirm from their hard life of labor to continue working profitably for the master's house. Masters would often rise one or a select few of slaves above the other, giving them social standing, still of course dependent on the master, and have them oversee the day-to-day production of the other slaves. In Roman times, giving these select slaves the right of choosing a wife from amongst the other slaves. The wife was not consulted on how she felt about this arrangement. Difficult or unwilling slaves were met with force, brutal force, which was almost always publicly implemented so that the other slaves could see what horrible fate awaits any slave who was uncooperative, ungrateful, or just the example of the day for the master. If slaves on a Roman plantation revolted, they were met with annihilation. Commonly, the execution of all slaves on the plantation, including any that had no part in the revolt. Aspect 3. A slave's life is within the confines of psychological domination and physical violence, which can erupt at any time for any reason. So, we've established three aspects of slavery. First, a slave has no social standing apart from their masters, and they and any of their production are the master's property. Second, the level of exploitation allowed is only limited by the whim of the master. And third, a slave's life is controlled through psychological domination and physical violence. Beyond the three aspects of slavery, it is an important practical split on what I will be calling periphery slavery and centralized slavery. This dichotomy best explains the limitations of exploitation on masters of their slaves. Periphery slaves tend to have much smaller slave-to-master ratios often located geographically on the edge of civilization next to the wilderness. In periphery situations, the master's interests are directly mixed with the immediate survival of the plantation, which are directly tied to the few slaves the master has. Think of early colonial America, with a few farms of indentured servants and maybe a native slave. If the farm failed, the owner was likely to be so in debt he and his family would become indentured servants themselves. And if they didn't grow crops successfully... They also had the possibility of all starving, masters and servants alike. In this situation, slaves had some leverage against the master, because all aspects of slavery were much harder to maintain. If a slave received brutal treatment, they always had the option to run into the wilderness, chancing a better situation as a slave on someone else's farm somewhere else. With these practical limitations, periphery slaves would often have some sort of protecting rules on the amount they could be exploited. Sometimes this was a certain hours per day, 
10 to 8 hours of labor due to the masters and freedom besides that, such on some Caribbean islands. Other times it was given some social recognition, albeit, of course, the lowest social standing position, say entry into the master's kinship or family units. In short, in the periphery, the three aspects of slavery described earlier were bent a little bit somewhat in favor of the slave because they had some leverage and because of the intrinsic limitations on power of the masters over the slave. This is often misconstrued as leniency or enlightenment, which has a slight truth to it. The slave is not exploited to the very fullest, but this was never done out of kindness of the master's heart, only the practical limitations of the situation. They won't write it that way, so don't be convinced by the masters who were unable to exploit their slaves in totality that they were somehow more enlightened than the other more exploitative masters. As societies developed, enlarged, and were centered around urban city-states with large economies that had extensive trade routes, masters would develop systems to maximize the three aspects of slavery. In centralized slaveries, cultures would develop laws for dealing with runaway slaves, have harsh punishments for anyone assisting or failing to prevent runaway slaves. And as supply chains for slaves grew larger, a culture-shattering method was developed of shipping slaves to far-off geographic areas, which isolated slaves from all their former societal, cultural, and kinship groups. It is hard for us to imagine in today's global society to think about being shipped off as a slave, captured in war, or picked up in a raid, and then dropped off in a completely different alien society, where you looked different, spoke a different language, had different cultural customs. The slave in this situation was completely isolated, except, of course, for their master. Thank you for listening to this episode of American Political History. If you want to support the show, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating. And share this show with someone you think would enjoy listening. Thank you again, and until next time.